Does culture really eat strategy for breakfast? Do you want to make a lasting impact on your business and customers? Join us as we speak with Alan O'Neill, an expert in organizational culture change, and learn how aligning your values, beliefs, and strategies can help elevate your customer experience. Go behind the scenes for a conversation about the power of culture eating strategy for breakfast. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show. You're in for a wellness driven ride. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. What's the secret to growing profit? A thriving company culture with customer experience at its heart. Three times published author with Seven Steps to Profit, Premium is the New Black and Culture Matters, Alan O'Neill is a seasoned professional with 30 plus years of leading change and supporting organizations with organizational development and people development. Enthusiastic and down-to-earth, Alan can share his hard-won insight from helping global giants to profit, from Selfridges to IKEA, the UN to UPS. Please help me welcome Alan O'Neill. Hello there, April. Very nice to be with you, and thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure, Alan. Uh, joining us from Ireland, it's so exciting to have you. Thank you so much for being on the Wellness Driven Life Show. It's a pleasure. And you know, when I hear that introduction, it's kind of a bit embarrassing to hear it being said about you. And even though we all know how important commerciality is, we've got to write great profiles and all of that. But still, when you hear it read back, oh my gosh, did, did I really write that? But hey, there you go. It's a good start, I guess. You know what? I absolutely love it. I enjoy it and it's catchy and that's the point of it, right? And so share with the audience a little bit about your background. Well, for 30 years now, I've been consulting with all sorts of organizations across the industry, um, from the motor industry, 
hospitality, retail, banking, oil and gas. In fact, there isn't an industry that I haven't worked in over the 30 years. Uh, but before that, before the 30 years start as a consultant, I was also um, start out as training, actually, uh, 30 years ago, running a training company. Before that, I got my frontline experience as a retailer. So from the age of 24, I opened my first store, a jewelry store in Ireland. Wow. And there was a story behind that. But we over the, the next oh, eight or so years, I ran and owned a chain of jewelry stores. Family issues changed and my kids were growing and I was felt I was missing out on their development by working crazy hours. Mm. So I stepped out of retail into the world of consulting. And the hours are even longer, April, but <laughs> yeah. happy about it years later. Yes. Well, yeah, you definitely started from, you know, getting the best experience of having your own business and then going into consulting and realizing, you know, the differences when, when you have one thought about something, you know, you expect it's going to be one way and then it turns out to be another, but the amazing amount of experience that one gains out of that. For sure. Because, you know, at a very basic level, I mean, I'm running a small business on very tight cash flow with borrowed money and mm -hmm. trying to just literally pay the bills and make a living with a young family at the time. It was daunting. It was pressurizing, but highly enjoyable. But for sure, that whole concept of being on the front line, buying and selling, but also putting customer front and center, while that sounds awfully cliched, it's yeah. not always best practice. So, yeah, I mean, it, that learning really carried me because whilst I learned lots of things like a really strong commercial focus, which I've carried with me throughout my life as a consultant, but also the practical, the practical reality of life, you know, because there is a danger that as a consultant or as a keynote speaker, that you can get into the clouds that running it, you know, flying at 30, 50,000 feet and forget what it's like on the ground. Well, I haven't. That because it gives you a great sense of empathy. So when dealing with people, I don't forget what it was like literally being on the front line with the pressures of trying to pay bills and hire and hire people and work with people and so on. Well, I think that's what makes you an expert, Alan, is that you you are familiar with what that's like. You've lived it, you've done it, you've blood, sweat, and tears it. And so it, it really brings this value add that you bring to people individually and companies as a whole. So tell me a little bit about when we talk about does culture really eat strategy for breakfast? What does that mean? So I have shaped the seven steps to profit. So that's built on, as a result of observing companies over the 30 years the good and the bad, and watching what makes the good ones successful and what are the ones that are less successful missing out on. And it has helped me to shape the seven steps which follow like this. Number one, the first step that's absolutely appropriate to any business, large or small, B2B or B2C, the first thing is having a clearly defined ambition, North Star, otherwise known mm -hmm. as mission purpose stuff. But that, again, is so important because it gives great clarity. A simple example is if you buy a hotel, do you want to be a three-star, a four-star, or a five-star hotel? It's kind of obvious and tangible. 
in the world of hotels. It's not always so tangible in other businesses. And having that clearly defined raison d'etre, North Star is step number one, because that informs everything else that's going to follow, April. Step number two is culture. And step number three is strategy. And let me explain. Strategy. Why is strategy not number two? Well, here's why. Your North Star, step number one, when that is defined, articulated and lived, it becomes the, the foundation, the bedrock for the business. It doesn't change every few years, no matter what's happening in the world outside. Culture, which we'll explain in a moment what culture actually means. But in simple terms, it's the way we do things around here. Mm. And a very simple explanation for the way I define culture. Mm. If you think about most of us watching this has a mobile phone of sorts. And this particular device is an iPhone. It's incredibly powerful, April. It has all sorts of um, abilities and processing power and, 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 and tech gadgets and so on. It's hardware. And this hardware is useless without the software, the iOS system that drives it, that powers it. And that's culture. So mm -hmm. if you look at hardware, software in the world of technology, in the world of people and organizations, the software powers the hardware. So the software is step number two, culture. Step number three is strategy. Now, strategy needs to change because the world outside is changing. Strategy changes at least every year. Now, when I'm working with companies to help them shape their strategy, we always look three to five years out. But then we review it a year later. Why? Because the world will have changed. Yes, you can't yes. assume that the strategy that you've built this year will last you for the next, will survive for the next three to five years. Look at the pandemic, how that would have changed everybody's strategy. Step number four is people. People, leadership and hierarchy, organization structure. But that's only relevant when you know your strategy. So you can see there's a cause and effect going on here. Step number one, North Star, that impacts culture, that impacts strategy. Strategy impacts uh, people and structure. And then five, six and seven are to do with customer, your proposition and, of course, execution. But that's why culture eats strategy for breakfast, because it is the like the software that powers all of the hardware, your hardware being your strategy, your products, your route to market, your technology, your stuff, your resources. That definitely makes sense to me. You know, ground up or establish the roots first, you know, before you can have this beautiful growth. And so that's amazing. I would love to know a little bit about your thoughts. You know, now that we've come out of this COVID and this major transition, like you said, we we look back a year, you know, we think five years ahead and then we look in, you know, every single year because change is constant. Well, we've had this massive change and so many companies across the board have, you know, redesigned, restructured, gotten rid of a lot of people, you know, and had to think about things differently. Now, when we talk about culture, there's also some companies that I'm curious, are they putting culture too far ahead? And we think about you have snacks five feet away and, you know, you have basically like this candy land. It kind of makes me think of Hansel and Gretel. It's kind of like, we, we want to, but, but hold tight because, you know, we're presenting this beautiful culture and yet people seem to be overworked. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I share your thoughts and concerns about the, and I'm highly cynical about bean bags and foosball tables and beer on Fridays. Let me explain. I'm not saying they're bad things, but when you get organizations espousing this as their culture, they're missing so much. Let me give an example, a real example. During the pandemic, in the early days, probably about three or four months into it, I was listening to a radio show here in my home country one morning, and there was an interviewer interviewing three different workers from different walks of life and how they were coping with working from home and so on. And one of these interviewees, it works from, for a very, very high-profile global tech company. I won't, don't need to na- name the name because it's, it's not the point. But he was making the point that, look, they have beer on Fridays. They've got foosball tables. They've got bean bags. They've got pretty much all the stuff that you hear about. But yet, the, it turns out now that those things are stripped away while they're working from home. They can really see what the culture is like. And the culture is not nice. The culture is driven primarily by the local leader. And it turns out that this guy's leader was a pain in the ass in his interpretation. So they see my point that all of these nice um, fluffy things are, yes, they are nice and they do grab clickbait headlines and so on. But the real culture behind that needs to be substantial. It needs to be about caring. It needs to be about inclusion. It needs to be about sensitivity towards people. Because the thing is, April, every organization in the world has a culture, but not every organization in the world can define it. So defining culture and then ensuring that you live that culture is a whole other ballgame. But yes, every company has a culture. But when it's not defined, here's what happens. And in fact, in this tech company, if I told you the name, you'd know it. In this company, I went and checked their website and they have a set of values. But clearly, they're not living them. And what is taking over in this organization is not the overarching culture, but it's that individual leader's leadership style that's dominating. And there's the conflict that if when an organization, it should have a clearly defined culture, because in the absence, all you get is different leadership styles. And April, your leadership style, let's pretend you're very customer centric. So your team are getting that message from you. And let's pretend I'm on the next floor and I'm not quite so customer-centric, dealing with the same customers. What kind of mixed messages does that convey to both internal people and mm-hmm. customers? So having an individual leader style is fine, but it needs to be within the framework of a culture. When you don't have a culture clearly defined, the default is individual leaders' leadership style. And that mm-hmm. can be good and bad. And inconsistent is the point. Right. And so exactly like you said, there's different leadership styles. You know, you can have the the basic overall leadership and then the individual teams and the same with, you know, culture and values. And let's talk a little bit about that. So when we talk about culture, I know you describe it as, you know, having these sets of values. Can you tell me a little bit about those values? Yes, I can. So I believe for 30 years, I've been supporting organizations to transition to a new place with a new culture. And particularly now since COVID, this is on everybody's agenda because the whole change in the work, the employer-employee contract is significantly changing that they're looking for. They're looking for support. They're looking for levers to pull from that will help them to refresh their culture. 
But why do I believe so much in values? Well, here's why. Each one of us, if you think about, um, each one of us lives our lives by a set of values, April. Mm -hmm. And they will undoubtedly include words like integrity, respect, honesty, caring, trust, trusting, mm -hmm. hard work ethic, and so on. Now, let me just take one of those as an example, respect. I'm sure we would all claim that yes, we are respectful, it is a value. Well, let me give an example and how this impacts on behaviors. April, I want you to imagine that you and I are going home this evening from work on a train. You and I jump on the train, we sit in together and we're having a good old chat as the train moves along on its journey and we're sitting down, we're lucky to get seats. As the train moves along on its journey, more people get on the train and fill up all of the empty seats. Now, imagine then the train moves to the next stop. There are no empty seats. But when the train stops, a pregnant woman or an elderly gentleman get on board. Now, what do you do instinctively without having to refer to a checklist, April? Now, April, you better get this right. <laughs> what do you do? What do I do instinctively if I don't have a checklist? If you know, because you're seeing a pregnant woman getting on with no seat, but you're sitting down, what do you do? Oh, well, I get up and I let her have the seat. Of, of course. course you do. Yeah. That's a no brainer because you didn't need a checklist because it's instinctive because in your yeah. core, April, you value. taught your bread, your brought up, your parenting, society taught you about respect. Now it's in here in your core. So yeah. whenever you find yourself in a situation that demands a response, your value drives your thinking, drives your behavior. Now, let's just now multiply that up into the organizational context. And let's say you want everybody to be customer focused, or you want everybody to really take accountability for their actions, or you want everybody to be innovative or agile, whatever things you want to call out. Well, how do you do that? How do you identify millions of different scenarios and behaviors you couldn't possibly? Right, but what you right. do is you identify most at most five values and those values then are a collection of behaviors and that then helps you to drive culture which is behaviors and processes and so on but that's going to help you then to drive a particular culture when you call out those behaviors and of course those values when you call it those values i should say those values need to be your values there's too many companies and i, I do a lot of work in the middle east and we see a lot of company, companies, new companies there, they, they learned through college education very fast that they need to have values. But honestly, April, you can clearly see what many of them, some of them have done. They've gone to Google. They've Googled values. And they mm -hmm. say, oh, integrity. Oh, I like that. Teamwork. Oh, I like that. Customer centricity. Oh, I like that. And they pluck from just a random list of single words of values that kind of appeal to somebody who's doing the exercise. They get posted on the website. I was asked to speak at a conference recently by a very, very major global brand at their annual management conference. And when I, whenever I am asked to speak, I always tailor my content exclusively to suit that client. How do I do that? By taking a really solid brief in the first place, but also interviewing three or four of the delegates in advance. Mm -hmm. So my brief was to help this global brand drive more customer centricity and more customer focus. So I asked about their culture 
And they said, yeah, yeah, our culture is strong. Then I said, so what are your values? In the four people that I interviewed, including the C-level executive, CEO and COO and HRD and one other person, and I asked them, tell me what their values were, they couldn't tell me. Now, would you say that that organization is living a consistent culture that it has defined? Absolutely not. When they can't even tell me what the values are. And they were embarrassed, of course. And I would be too. But that is classic, April. It's yeah, all yeah. around us. So many companies have these values on a wall, on a website, but they haven't a clue. They're not being lived. They're not being yeah, measured. Yeah. People are not being made accountable for them. So um, you have this set set of values that you haven't steered from. And so they haven't changed. Is that correct? So you mean when for, I work with an organization or for, for, or for myself? For, the, for an organization, let's say. Oh. Yes. Okay. So we help them from the ground up through a very, very in, uh, well-considered discovery process. We have them to discover what is their current culture through a really, really well-crafted uh, values survey. And we do one-to-one -one interviews to get anecdotal stories to, to put meat on the bones of the data. Then we're able to go, go to them and say, look, here's what your current culture is. Now, let's look at your ambition, your North Star. What should your culture be? And we help them then to bridge, to, to, to develop a gap analysis. Then we design a new culture with them, hanging out of a set of values that are unique to them. We okay. would never allow them just have a single word value. We encourage them to develop statements around those values. For example... Like a mission statement? Well, that's, that is important too, and that's part of the North Star, April. But when it comes to the values, the values are more about a collection of behaviors. I'll give you some examples. Mm. Selfridges is a famous department store in the UK. We help them to shape their values. And I can remember them. Their first value is think customer. It doesn't just say customer centricity, which is kind of boring and a Google term, but it's think customer. So there's an mm. action behind that. The second value is show and earn respect. And that's all about encouraging everybody to not just expect to earn respect, but to show it in the first place. Third is own it and deliver, which is all about accountability. Now we could have used the word accountability, but that's boring. Own and deliver is much more personalized. An action. Yes, an action. The fourth value is know your stuff, which is all about being knowing your department, knowing your best sellers, your worst sellers, your suppliers, what's, what's trendy, what's not trendy, knowing mm. your people, knowing your customers. And the final one then is be pacey and positive, which is about agility and fast moving, having a sense of urgency. My point is, don't worry about those particular values for Selfridges. I don't expect anybody to remember them. It's more the message. The values should be shaped to the organization and tailored for them. There's nobody in the whole world could claim those five values other than Selfridges. But if you put up single words like accountability and agility and innovation, lots of companies could claim those. Well, in a lot of ways, you're putting, you know, not just a statement, but you're putting a feeling with an action. So it really, it, it, it grasps a little stronger with those values. And so I think those are wonderful values to have first off. And, you know, talking about, you know, values and culture and, and even mission statements, you know, I know that's something separate, but something uh, that a company as a whole can 
join in and collaborate together. Just like you said, I love that, you know, you have them discover what those values are together. And that gives a sense of, you know, purpose, you know, that they're involved, that they're engaged. And so it's something to show up and be prideful for. Absolutely. You know, there are lots of consulting companies out there. The big six are the big six and they do an incredible job in what their specialist areas are. Mm. But um, if I may be just a little bit brave and be a little bit cynical that I've seen very often where the big one of the large consultancy companies comes into an organization and does whatever it be strategy or culture and they bring their team in with them. They do a deep dive, they interrogate numbers and et cetera, et cetera. And they leave a book, like a Bible, that tells the company to just get on with it now. And honestly, I can't tell you how many times I've seen books like that in the drawer, just gathering dust. Uh, Whereas yeah. we're a boutique consultancy and we our, our preferred approach is to work with the client internally to get them involved in the process. And with that, you get three words, commitment to act, CTA, commitment mm. to act. Because when you engage people on the ground at all different levels in the process of discovery and design, their commitment to the whole program is going to be much, much all the difference. Yeah. We're working with an organization of 10,000 people in, in Dubai right now. And in that region, if you're familiar with it, they talk about white collar and blue collar workers. Mm. Not nice language, but that's the way it is. But when we're doing the discovery piece, the client was saying, look, we just want you to work with the white collar guys. And I'm saying absolutely not, because the, you want people to feel involved in the program. Now, it doesn't mean we go and interview hundreds of blue collar workers, but at least give them access to the survey, an online survey that they can contribute and yeah. tell what it's really like. And I've seen it. The yeah. difference when you see the data from such a survey, April, the data that you see from the using their language, white collar, can be very different to the data you see from the blue collar. So the blue collar are the guys on the ground with the shoulder to the wheel. Mm, front line. How, can you, how can you not involve them and develop a culture that there is alien to them? It just doesn't make sense. Absolutely. Well, we're going to move into our first commercial. And when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about that and find out how do you make these values stick? Stay tuned. Great. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be. But we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while. We invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. Hi, 
I'm April Hove, the Managing Director of the Fort Worth, Texas chapter of eWomen Network. I'm so excited that you stopped to watch this video. I've got good news for you. You have just discovered an international network of women entrepreneurs who are committed to helping you achieve, succeed, and prosper. We are on a mission to help 1 million women entrepreneurs each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. Here at eWomen Network, we have a complete success system that supports you every step of the way in building and growing your business. You being here right now is no accident. We're supposed to know about you. We want to meet you to find out how we can help you as well as learn about what you have to offer. With over 500,000 women connecting through 118 chapters across the US, Canada, Australia, and the UK, you are never alone. If this is resonating with you, please go to eWomenNetwork.com slash Fort Worth. Notice too, my contact information. I invite you to reach out to me and check out our upcoming in-person and online events. I am really looking forward to introducing you to our community. Wow, so, that was a great commercial. Oh, really enjoyed you. that. Yeah, I mean, and very ambitious growth plans there. What what about that? Fantastic. Yes, yes. eWomen is is really trying to grow, and such as yourself, Alan. You know, I wanted to talk about um, you being you know so international drawn. You know, you work with so many companies worldwide, and you know you're you're talking about working with these companies now, and the cultural differences are so different, right? And having to know a little bit about that in order to gear them in the right direction. And, you know, you know, because like you said, the way that they define, you know, blue collar, white collar, there's differences in the way that they think, the way that they communicate all over the world, things are different. So wanted to just give you a little shout out for that because it is something to consider, absolutely. There's a fantastic book by a lady called I think it's called, I think she's Erin Meyer or Myers I'm not quite sure and she goes into this in great depth April the the concept of different cultures from a from a cultural perspective as in national culture perspective like for example um, how communications differ you know she talks about the 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 directness of the Dutch and the Germans versus the yeah. the English that are much more cagey with their language. I mean, they're saying one thing, but they're meaning something else. You know, yeah. I mean, that's real. That's very real. But yeah. of course, as the world becomes even more globalized and after the pandemic, where there's even more mixing across national cultures. Mm. And here in my country, we're a country of the whole island, about 7 million people. But we've got a huge influx of uh, foreign direct investment. So the number of U.S. companies that are headquartered here is quite incredible, you know, and pharmaceutical companies and so on. Yeah. But we we also are now coming to terms with this. But let me tell you a quick story. I remember in Selfridges, Selfridges in their main store is in Oxford Street in London, and it's a hugely uh, successful business. I mean, when we got involved, when I got involved as their support consultant, change management consultant, uh, back in 2004, I was in and out there for eight years. And in that time, the profits grew from 45 million pounds to 200 million pounds in that time frame. It was mm -hmm. phenomenal growth. 
And the secret was culture, by the way. But I remember one thing in particular, which kind of links to your question, April. I remember a statistic. There was 122 different nationalities of employees at one particular time in Selfridges. And I remember then when we came to recruitment, they were using the recruitment uh, CVs as the main driver of recruitment. And I wasn't quite convinced about this because a CV is a very important document to, that, that documents a person's chronological career. It doesn't tell you about their style, their fit with the company and so on. And so often we were getting it wrong that based on somebody's CV and their retail experience, they get into the organization, but their fit in the team just wasn't right. But I remember then um, one example. I remember there were some cultures and you'll, you'll find this in, in Asian, some Asian cultures and indeed some Middle East cultures where men find it difficult to make eye contact with a customer, mm-hmm. particularly with a female customer because mm-hmm. of the whole issue of men and women in those cultures. And the other thing then is in some cultures where they don't say please and thank you readily, it doesn't come naturally to them. Mm-hmm. They just don't because that's their culture. Whereas what we did in the, you might call it orientation, induction, introduction, call it whatever you like, that when when new recruits got past the recruitment stage and then they joined the company and they, they go on the induction program, we were very clear. We made it very clear because that was also a deselection, a second stage of deselection as well as a stage of selection. Now, when we would make the point about, look, we respect your culture, wherever you come from, 122 different nationalities. We respect your culture, but you're joining Selfridges and you need to respect our culture. And in our culture, we make eye contact. In our culture, we say please and thank you. Now, I'm being simplistic with my examples to illustrate the point. Culture, organization culture needs to override personal national culture because if you're traveling if you're traveling across territories and you want to do well in your new employer you've got to step up and adapt yourself but even if you choose to stay in a an asian country and where everybody around you is not making eye contact or saying please and thank you if you've got international customers you also have to adapt and Mm. recognize You've got to adapt your style, step up and adapt your style to what are your, whoever you're interacting with. Yeah. And I'm sure most of it stems exactly for this, you know, who you're serving, your customer, and what are their primary, you know, culture norms. And so, yes, absolutely. I'm sure that that can be a, a big challenge when you are, working with so many people, such a large organization with many different people, like you said, there was a hundred and so, you know, different people and from cultural backgrounds. And so being able to, to retrain or in such an elegant way, you know, to enlighten them on this is, this is what we're going to be presenting and this is how we're going to be leading. And, I think that probably most people would be okay with that because they stepped into the position with a knowing. And so going back to how do we make that stick, right? When we're working with so many different people, you know, how do you make those values truly stick and work? So 
the values it doesn't stop there the values are your start point and when we're doing a program we go through discovery then design and then we do a delivery to deliver the new values we always push the client for a launch event i'm talking about a big quiz bang event with fun and games and silliness and why do we do that we want that event to become an iconic memory in the minds of everybody oh now, wise yeah now the size of the organization will dictate how you do that it might have to be a cascade but that's okay you still have some form of launch launch event hmm. but the values the five values that the company selects are on their own are meaningless you also need to expand on them so we would help a client to create booklets that explains each value so with the with each value we would have a narrative that explains in more words it's a bit like a subtitle on a book the book title is the book title but the subtitle explains it in more detail yeah. like my book my second book culture matters doesn't tell you a lot but the subtitle the four must have values to supercharge your organization that okay. tells you more values are the same so we've got a subtitle to the main overarching value but we don't stop there we also come up with a set of about five or six indicative behaviors to really hammer home nicely the point to all that look here are samples of the kind of behaviors that would indicate that this value is being lived we might do that in different levels we might do it at one level for frontline people using basic language but if it's for leadership we might use different examples that are more about leadership behaviors we might you're then, taking action much more further you know you're really impressing that action bit absolutely absolutely but now embedding the values i should caution any organization thinking about a culture refresh that it takes years It's not like a strategy that you can execute that year hopefully right. but culture takes years to embed and become live like a, a living organism that is literally living and breathing. Why you begin with the end in mind, right? You have that 5 exactly. year. Absolutely. So here's how we do that. As part of the support we give a client when we help them to launch with the launch event to launch the values, we also help working with the internal steering group and this is back to what makes us a boutique hands-on versus a big six we work with an internal steering group which is multi-representative mm -hmm. but that steering group then with our guidance builds two sets of plans let me tell you the first plan is the deep dive changes to the hr disciplines for example we will help them to redesign their annual performance review process so that values become incorporated into their annual reviews we would help them to change the recruitment program so that when they're recruiting they're not just recruiting against a cv but they're recruiting against values they're what we call the deep dive changes in terms of how we bring and also leadership training on how the leaders need to be role models for the values they're all one set of plans april that we call them they're the deep dive into the hr disciplines however some of those might take time to bed in because after all the annual review program for some companies it's only once a year mm -hmm. or recruitment only happens when they're recruiting and not everybody's going to get to see the values being lived in the recruitment only the recruits right so we also help the steering group develop a second basket of plans and this is what we call 
maintaining momentum or positive noise plans. Mm. And this is where we have them come up with initiatives that are going to keep the values visible. I mean, literally visible, like decals on the walls, mouse mats, screensavers, mugs, um, booklets, um, floor walkers, notice boards. Yes, but it doesn't stop there. We might also come up with a set of plans around um, a monthly award scheme linked yeah. to the values, where um, one client, we've helped them to develop a, an internal process whereby everybody in the organization has one nomination to give every month. They don't have to give it, but they can give it to another colleague for living a particular value. How do they do that? They go to the notice board, they flash a QR code. That brings them to a, a survey website like that. And then they nominate, I nominate April and here's why. I've got to explain why. And then your name goes into the hat and there's a selection process every month where there are winners. They might only get a bottle of wine or a voucher for a meal, but it's the recognition. Yeah. It's the activity that's going on around it. It's the recognition. And also then they all then bundle up into an annual, like an Oscars ceremony, where the nominees the, that won the monthlies, then yeah. there's a winner for each value at the end of the year. But there's other things that you can do also, like another link back to the values, why we prefer action statements as opposed to single words is that action statements can also be included in language. I can't tell you how many times I witnessed in meetings in Selfridges, people saying, guys, we need to think customer here. Because they might be, you know, in the meeting, their head is down into operational stuff and somebody calls out, guys, we're not thinking customer here. Now their value is think customer, but it now turns into part of the vernacular and how they use because they're action statements, they fit nicely into the language that people are using, be it on an email or in verbal language in meetings. And that's really powerful. But of course, the other thing about embedding the values, the internal steering group needs to live on, continue to meet monthly and keep the finger on the pulse. So the, that's the, that steering group is the pulse of the organization checking to see where where the values are working, where they're not working. So they're constantly tweaking. And for many of our clients, we live on with that steering group, steering the steering group. But the critical piece here, which we haven't talked about, is the role of leaders. Mm -hmm. Leaders role modeling those values. I can tell you that in some of my clients, some executives were encouraged to find their magic elsewhere, April, mm -hmm. if they weren't living the values. And that's quite right. Yeah. Because it's all, it's not, you know, um, do as I say, but don't necessarily do as I do. That's not right. You know, did I get that right? Did I say that right? You, you, you know, I understand this. Yes. If the, if the leader is not role model, I've got one client at the moment where the CFO, um, the CFO does not live the respect value himself. Yeah. You have to be living it. Absolutely. 100%. It is, Everybody in the organization dislikes this character for his style, the way he speaks and shouts at people and mm -hmm. uh, lambastes people in public. He's just not a nice guy. And it shows in his total lack of respect. And it's amazing how fast that can destroy an oh, entire it's, it's like a cancer. It's like it a cancer. Wildfire. 
it makes other people cynical then, April, because they say, yeah. well, hold on a second. If this is one of our values and there's a C-level guy not living the value, this is a load of bull. Yeah. So it's a risk. Yeah. Well, I I really enjoy that we started bringing leadership into that because it is absolutely, you know, we we look up to the people leading us and so much of what we do stems on that. And, you know, I love when we've gone back and how do you make this stick? You know, it sounds to me like it is an immense amount of investment that an organization has to do to kind of redefine their structure and their culture. Because when you're investing in so much, we need to put this in front of everyone's face continuously. It's just like with anything, you know, when we develop new habits, it's like we have to put the sticky notes on, you know, our computer, on our mirrors, all over the place, right? So we start retraining our brains, our minds to start living it. And, but the return is so worth it. Well, the investment there's a financial investment when an external provider is invited into support. Of course, there's a financial investment then, but then it yeah. stops pretty much because then our, as a boutique change management consultancy, we're going to walk away. We know that every client that we work with wants to see us, wants to see the back of us eventually. We're conscious of that. So we work very hard to give them to, to make them self-sufficient. But when they do become self-sufficient and take it on themselves, there should be no more financial investment. Yes, of course, there's an annual survey. It's small money to do an annual survey and to do a check-in. Are, are we still, are we moving the dial on our initial survey? But this is more a way of working rather than investment. It's investment of effort. Yes, it's changing, it's changing behaviors. It's a bit like, you know, going on a diet or giving up smoking, yes, you have to get into that rhythm. But once the rhythm, once the rhythm is developed, you then it's sticking with the rhythm. And you do need somebody to be just championing this. And that's where a steering group. But I don't want to give the impression that it's about fina continued financial investment. It's not. It no, because once you've established it and now it's a well-oiled machine, why would you have to keep investing in that? Precisely. Yeah. I agree with you. So there is a there's a, a bigger investment, but that's with so much, you know, any business, right? You we all know that you have to make investments in order to go anywhere. You know, whether that's in this, whether it's in your leadership, your coaching, all of it, you have to invest in your business and your companies. So in order to get to where you want to be. So we're going to run another commercial. And then when we get back, let's talk a little bit about, you know, I want to go back to people who are feeling a little bit overworked because the companies, you know, are, are showing that they have this culture, but yet something is not quite ticking. What can employees do about that when we come back? With key ingredients supported by over 80 clinical trials, the exclusive formulation of the Bella Grace Collagen Elixir is changing lives everywhere. Ingesting collagen peptides alone is not very helpful. This is where most collagen products fall short and where Bella Grace changes everything. Unlike other collagen products, 
The Bella Grace Collagen Elixir controls the gene switches which activate collagen creation and disables the enzymes that break down the matrix. Bella Grace Collagen Elixir contains Verisol, the world's best and most clinically studied form of collagen. These elite collagen peptides influence the skin's collagen metabolism directly from the inside. Nature's most powerful antioxidant. 6,000 times more potent than vitamin C, Astoreal Astaxanthin prevents the activation of gene switches that drive inflammation and activates the gene switch responsible for cellular repair and longevity, forming bridges across cell membranes, protecting them from free radical attack. Amazonian Cat's Claw suppresses the enzymes that degrade collagen and our skin matrix caused by oxidants and inflammation. It simply turns the switch off. The world's most studied collagen, plus activating the genes that make collagen, plus switching off the genes that break down collagen, has resulted in something the world has never experienced. The Bella Grace Collagen Elixir. Start your 30-day Bella Grace Challenge today. You can discover more about Bella Grace in the description below. Now, coming back to you, Alan, you know, maybe we could uh, gear this a little bit more. What would you say that the issues, what a typical HR director will be working on? Let's start there. So um, HR director, there's so much going on in the world of HR that I like to classify it that when I'm working with HR people to help them just put things into boxes because just my mind works like that um, because all this potential fluff and um, com like ambiguity that can go on in the world of HR needs to be tidied up. Mm. And I see everything that goes on in HR falling into four baskets. One is having the right person in the right job. So that's all about recruitment, job descriptions, role clarity, succession planning, and so on. So the right person in the right job. Mm. The second basket is training. Training, which is often missed and the importance of it being missed. The, of course, it includes orientation or induction training. But the continuous. Continuous <laughs> training. Yeah. And more and more organizations are now hiring people, not for the CV, but for their skills. So developing skills, and it can be done Training doesn't always have to involve bringing in outside companies. There's so much can be done internally through mentoring, coaching, and so on. So training is critical. And we do employee engagement surveys. And honestly, training, and the next basket, which I'll just tell you about in a moment, training regularly comes out as a low-scoring category. That companies think they're spending money on training, but oftentimes it's a tick box. It's not the right training or not, yeah. not delivered the right way. The third basket of concern for any HR director is, of course, communications, which is a very broad mm. context because it takes in the annual reviews, it takes in team meetings, uh, email, etiquette, one-to-ones um, and briefings, town halls, etc. Yeah. yeah. 
And in there, it's all about the frequency, the style, the and uh, who attends and so on. And again, in employee engagement surveys, communications always comes out with a low score. The fourth category is mm-hmm. care, care and wellness, which of course is hugely important now. Naturally, of course, reward comes in there. That's obvious. And you need to pay people at least the market average in your sector. But the other things that creep in here is wellness. And not just because of COVID, but it's the right thing to do, to be taking care and are people motivated, enjoying, are they well? Are they healthy? Are they, mental health is such a big issue now. And another part of that is is, um, diversity and inclusion. So that all fits under the banner of care. Now, let me tell you, a number of years ago, when I was working with companies to focus on those four baskets of concern for HR, they would be so eloquent and they would talk all day long about right person, right job, training and communications. But they would give, give little dialogue to the wellness one. Well, let me tell you, that has changed quite dramatically. The level of concern, dialogue and interest and curiosity and concern for that fourth category has grown exponentially. And great that it has. Yeah. You know, I I see that so much and and it really does, you know, stem from the from the top bottom, right? Where in order to really get a good handle on being able to give that to the employees, it, it all starts from the top. So with with some of these um, with any company that f- feels like they're doing the right thing. I know we've talked a little bit about values, a lot about values, right? And and how that makes all the difference in being able to make these things stick. So how does that relate to when we talk about health um, and being maybe overworked? How does that come into play? How is that structured in as far as getting the job done, you know, and with company finances and having the number of people that they have on the team, and being able to weave, you know, their health, um, including, you know, the, the higher up, sometimes the workload is even more like you discovered, you know, I thought that when I started consulting, that it would be less work. And it's just the opposite, right? So, you know, how are we supposed to be good leaders, and take care of ourselves at the same time? Well, I'm glad you said that. How can we all become good leaders? Because I often say to people that leadership doesn't mean you have to have stripes on your arm or epaulets with with um, with stars. Leaders, there can be you can be a frontline, non-managerial role and still be a leader in your behavior, in your style, and your attitude. And to me, it links back to this concept of people. You know, it's often said that people resist change. Well, I don't believe people resist change. I believe people resist coercion. That when they're not brought on the journey and shown the lid on the jigsaw puzzle to understand the context of why things are changing, well, that's where organizations fall down. But individuals also need to step up here, April. That it shouldn't, if, if you leave it to the organization to do all the things that they should be doing, there's a sense of, well, almost entitlement with that, or if you don't like it, being done to. But you can actually embrace so much of this by stepping up and recognizing that you also have a role to play in changing maybe what you believe. You know, if you believe that, well, organizations are 
our leaders, our bosses are paying the ass or that they shouldn't be doing this to us. Well, you can switch your thinking around that and start believing that, look, the world is changing. If our organization doesn't change, we become a dinosaur, get left behind. We might not have a job then. So you've got to step up and actually take ownership and just then start adapting to that change. But when it comes to that work, that extra workload, yes, undoubtedly, that is an issue that can happen that perhaps for many people, they're saying that they've seen it coming out of COVID. But I think people have got to speak up, you know, and mm. I, this is easy for me to say. I, I, I take that point that there are people listening here saying, oh, yeah, well, it's easy for you. You're a consultant. You can walk away. But my boss won't listen. I, I genuinely understand and I huge empathy for those situations. But what's the alternative? The alternative is to just suck it up. Well, that's not good for you. And the risk there is that you will eventually then say, okay, I've had enough. And if you're brave enough, then you might start looking elsewhere for your magic. What a pity. pity The answer is always no if you don't ask. Well, there you go. So you really do. And then, you know, asking, plucking up the courage, there are all sorts of tools and frameworks for how to broach these subjects. And, you know, they... Talk to talk to a, a trusted colleague about, look, you know, you, you need your work balance is off kilter right now. You, your workload is heavy. Well, if that is true or if it's just maybe just bad time management, well, let's assume it's not bad time management. It could be. But let's say you're beyond that. You've reorganized. You, you're better prioritizing your workload and all those things. Well, if you're still inundated and overloaded, it's time to talk to your boss. Your boss has a duty to listen to you. Now, let's be ambitious here and believe that most bosses are reasonable. Let's believe that. I I would start there. Most people are reasonable people. And they just need to be perhaps challenged or explained to that this is an issue. But if you don't... really... Yeah, go ahead. No, just I'm going to repeat myself. The consequence of not owning up and confronting in a nice way. You know, it doesn't mean you have to go in full guns blazing and shoot, shooting from both barrels <laughs> at, one at the same time, you can win and be respectful. You'll get yeah. so much more by being respectful and even empathic with the boss. Well, Ellen, I think it's a really elegant way of saying things. And, you know, it's even going back and stemming to, you know, the internal cultural within also eats strategy for breakfast, right? It's having the the internal beliefs and changing your your thinking and being bold and brave enough to communicate and then you know consider strategy and how that's going to work out but there's those foundations first so wonderful thank you and and you started going in a little bit about your third book right so yes. let's talk a little bit about that what is your third book what is it about what are you offering to people and to to companies so my first two books the first one was customer experience called premium is the new black and the second one culture matters they are both books of about 40 to 50000 words they're a typical book that you a business book that you would pick up the first one is a reference book you can dip in and out of it the second one i wrote it as a parable so it's a story with characters in it that draws out the whole concept of culture. And that was, I wrote that during COVID, I had great fun doing it. But um, now I'm now developing a series of books. And this series of books will be under the banner of 
KISS Insights. That's K-I-S-S, which you know, of course, is keep it short and simple. Yes. So I'm developing a range of books that'll be about 10,000 words, that the idea behind them is that you can read it in one sitting, but you'll keep it forever. So my first in this new KISS Insight series is called Show Me the Lid on the Box. And Show Me the Lid on the Box is all about change management. And the subtitle of the book is How to Overcome Resistance to Change. So in a nutshell, this is a book that is going to give any reader a framework, my framework for managing change and how to manage change. If you are a leader and you are driving a change program, you'll find everything that you need in that book. But even if you are a participant in change, not the one driving it, this book would also be valuable because you're now seeing where your bosses are coming from and what they're doing, what they should be doing and what they're not doing. But also there's a chapter in there about personal adaptation to change. So it is, going back to that analogy of show me the lid in the box is, um, isn't it? um, Oh, yeah. So the first book, Who Moved My Cheese? That was the concept of, what is the guy's name? Oh, crikey. It'll come to me in a moment. That great book that goes back 20, 30 years. That was an analogy for change management. And the Simon Sinek has written a book called uh, Start with the Why. My equivalent analogy for those two stories is show me the lid on the box. And mm-hmm. here's the point. So many companies, when they hired their people back in the day, they gave them three or four pieces of an, a jigsaw puzzle that was the lid on the box at that time. But of course, over the years, the lid on the box has changed. Why? Because the world is changing. Yeah. And too many companies forget or they don't realize the importance of continuously showing how the box is changing. And what happens? You have those individuals who are given their four or five pieces of a jigsaw back in the day. They're still coming into work every day, trying to snap them together, and they're not fitting anymore. And they're pulling their hair out and frustrated, and the anxiety and the stress kicks in then because they're trying to assemble a jigsaw that's not there anymore. Show me the lid in the box is all about showing the context for change, following a model, my 4D model for change, but also showing that the importance of bringing people on the journey. So that'll be out in a few weeks time. And that's the first of this, as I said, new series called Kiss Insights. Oh, wonderful. And is our audience going to be able to find that on your website at www.alanoneal.biz? Yes, right now. Right now, those books are, the first two books are available there, but also on Amazon, certainly Amazon on this side of the world. I'm not sure about Amazon US, but the third book, Show Me the Lid in the Box, will also be on my website. So, and we can ship internationally. There's no problem shipping to anywhere in the world from my website. Yes, excellent. I I want our audience to know that, that it's www.alanoneill.biz. And this also is going to be in the description below, and I may even have the Amazon link attached to it. So be sure to check that out. That is incredible. I always say, you know, that um, so much of our lives are at work in our career fields. I mean, it really truly affects how we show up on all levels with our families, with our coworkers, with ourselves. And so it is such a huge part of our overall wellness. And and, and it comes to the forefront 
often. And so it definitely needs to be addressed. I really appreciate you bringing some incredible, you know, literature out into the world, some tips and tricks, because, you know, as I've been on my self-development journey, I often go to business books because it applies to everything. You know, when we talk about leadership and business and self-development, it all correlates and intertwines in such a beautiful way. So I appreciate it. And real quick, is there anybody, any author that has truly inspired you the most on this journey? Oh, gosh, uh, I'm going to quote that lady, Erin Meyer, again, for that that book. I, I ate it and drank it because it was such a fantastic insight into national <laughs> culture. And I'm able to bring it in now to much of my work. So I'm going to just land on that one for sure, because I really do believe there's so much there around culture. Um, and look, finally, if I may also just tell your listeners that I am a keynote speaker. So if you understood my accent and if you think <laughs> that my content, my accent and my my enthusiasm might work for your conference, um, yes, I do that for a living. We also, of course, work with companies as a boutique consultancy. We work with companies to help them shape culture. And so much of this can be done on teams or certainly online, not all of it. But um, so despite the fact that I am based in Europe, in little old Ireland, where Joe Biden recently visited, you might know. Um, So yes, we can do this all around the world. Well, I love this. You do speak so eloquently and clearly. It is, you know, apparent that you you do this for a living and that you are a master in your field. So again, greatly appreciate it. We are so honored to have you on the Wellness Driven Life Show where you share some of that expertise. You really gave a lot of value and insight and knowledge. Very exciting. Uh, I'm going to let our audience know again how to reach you check out the description if you happen to be watching this replay which many of you will be please be sure to leave your comments in the comments section below and we will get back to you so alan again thank you so much are there any last things that you would like to say yes um i think um was it mark twain said that if you if you enjoy what you do you'll never work a day in your life well Mm. That's me. For 30 years, I've thoroughly enjoyed what I'm doing. But you know something? One of the highlights for me has been this one-hour chat with you, April. You've been (laughs) been asking, you've been so, so nice and so pleasant. And in our preliminary chat before today, you're wonderful, professional, on the ball. I really enjoyed it. So it's been a highlight for me. Thank you. And I wish you every success with the Wellness Driven Life show. Oh, thank you, Alan. I I, am... humbled and honored for for that and thank you so much i greatly appreciate it and speaking of i want to direct our audience to this show wouldn't be possible without you without your generous contributions so you can donate to the wellness driven life show and when you donate from our website at www.thewellnessdrivenlifeshow.com you'll be left with a follow-up email that you can keep for your records so i just want to say thank you again, Alan. It truly has been a pleasure. And I want to say to our audience, thank you. Goodbye for now. And we will see you tomorrow.